Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Horrorversary. If for some reason this is the first time that you're joining us, we keep things very simple. We are a podcast that celebrates horror movies celebrating anniversaries. I'm your host, as always, Adrian Torres, and on this week's episode, we're not going that far back. We're, we're going just back 10 years to 2008 to a little film that kind of caused a stir. I know it sounds weird to say when you're talking about vampire movies around the time of like Twilight and everything, but we're talking about Let the Right One In, and that's a movie that's just, it, it's it's great. You talk to anybody and you mention Let the Right One In, two things are going to happen. Either somebody's going to say, oh my God, I love that movie, or they're going to say, are you talking about Let Me In? No, no, no. We're not talking about the remakes. We'll get into that for like a moment or two later on. But when you're thinking about Let the Right One In, you have to remember when it came out in 2008. As I mentioned, Twilight was everywhere. Spoofs of Twilight were everywhere. But what helped set Let the Right One In apart is just its its dense atmosphere. It's beautiful moments of... Okay. I, I'll admit I was getting carried away that time, so that was my fault. That's my bad. Next time I'll just, you know, stick to here's the basic synopsis of the movie and away we go. But we have another wonderful guest tonight who, if you're somebody who's paid attention to the internet, you've probably seen his writing in various different places. I don't need to list them all to you. You can look them out yourself. You can look at his bio. You'll find it. Trust me. I'd like to welcome to Horrorversary, David Dowd. How's it going, David? It's going great. Uh, good to be here. Well, I'm I'm glad to to have you. I'm sorry, David. Would you yes. please come inside? Oh yes, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. I, I wanted to make sure that I not only used my manners, but didn't cause you to start bleeding from every orifice. Right, right. Wouldn't be good to make a mess in here like that. No, no, very much, especially in like minute four or five. I don't, maybe in <laughs> I mean, like minute four. And then that's the whole show. Exactly. It's it's short. I do try to keep these episodes short, but not that short. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's kind of funny that, that we mentioned that. Uh, we'll get into it in just a second. But all I thought of directly mentioning, oh, if we have somebody die right away is, oh, one of the first things that you have and let the right one in is a, a conversation about what happens if this person's murdered. Yeah. Just, no, just it's uh, it, it's really interesting how uh, how this thing starts off and the uh, just the the atmosphere it sets right from the beginning because um, it, it's uh, you know you've got it opening over the credits with kind of the the snow starting to fade in and then you see uh, you see uh, Oscar. Uh, shirtless reflected in shirtless ridiculously pale reflected in his uh bedroom window and it's just such a, a striking way to start this movie uh just this stark contrast between the the white snow and the black sky and uh, uh oscar's white skin and the again the the dark outside it, it just sort of sets you up for the the chilliness of uh this movie. I couldn't have said it better myself, but, but that does lead to the very first question that we always like to ask everybody is when did you first see let the right one in? Uh, it's actually, uh, pretty recent. Actually. I, uh, slept on, I mean, the movie itself is not that old, but I slept on it for longer than I should have. And it's only been in the last, uh, 
handful of years, like three or four years ago that I saw it, but I was just immediately uh, stricken with it. And uh, it's so, so good and so interesting. And uh, when you sent over that uh, list of movies to choose from, this was definitely one of the ones that stood out for me. Yes, yeah, so you were you were one of the people I always mention it is that I want people who are passionate. And when I sent you the list, you were like that one, that one, that one. I was like, okay, okay, you you spoke first. Here you go. I I don't want to get in the way of anyone who's that excited to talk about a movie. Oh yeah, and this there's a uh, definitely a lot to talk about with this one. To to start off, because of course we are a show that d- definitely dives into every nook and cranny that concerning the movie so if you have not seen let the right one in pause here go watch it feel bad that it took you this long to watch it just like david in the past and yeah. then come back here and listen to the rest of the episode but for Hot those tip, people, it's uh streaming on hulu if you have that there you go uh we'll okay well just remind me to talk about subtitles later because that's still a thorn in my side with yeah this movie today no that's so. definitely an issue um, but before those people go to watch the movie, in as few words as possible, describe Let the Right One In to the Uninitiated. Okay, so you have uh, this this uh, 12-year-old kid who is, you know, maybe, uh, maybe a little bit socially awkward, but otherwise seems pretty okay. Um, but he's sort of relentlessly bullied and uh, is kind of isolated and he, and he meets this uh young uh young girl or what appears to be uh, a young girl who uh is sort of uh initially reluctant to make friends with him but uh they begin to establish this relationship and over the course of the relationship let's just say she's a, a little bit more than she seems to be uh i mean you know at this point, you probably know that she is uh, a vampire, but I'll leave the rest of it to be discovered for your own enjoyment. And now and now that th- those people have hopefully paused, we're just going to spoil everything else. Um, Absolutely. When it comes to this movie, there's there. I mean, there's so many standout things, but I normally take lots of notes on these movies for, for when we have this discussion. I didn't really take any for this movie because of how artistic it is and how everything's done on a technical level. Do do you think that helps separate it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, you know, don't want to get, uh, too off track early on, but it's, uh, go for it. Go hard for it. not to, uh, compare it a little bit to it's, uh, American remake in that regard. And to be fair, you know, I, I like Matt Reeves a lot and I think let me in on its own is a very, good movie but there's uh when you watch the two back to back it's very the differences between the two of them are are striking and not in the not in the most favorable way to let me in where you know let me in feels very fast and flashy and for lack of a better term american uh uh, let the right one in is very striking in its uh in its stillness and its uh, willingness to let shots linger and to just sort of live in the moment. And everything is these uh, locked off shots. There's not, 
I don't think there's a, a second of handheld photography in the thing. Um, it's these locked off shots and smooth pans and, uh, just let you sort of linger in this, in the space with these characters. Now, the director of course is Thomas Alfredson, who has a very weird filmography. He, he mm-hmm. done like smaller films, mostly before this. And as is the case with basically any good foreign film, there's about 50,000 producers on this film, which right. I'm, I'm glad there were because we were allowed to have it. But he goes from this, then does Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and then unfortunately did The Snowman last You know, year. which is uh, most notable for the memes it's uh, advertising spawned. Yes, yes. E- even though for, for me, it's uh, somebody deciding, oh, yeah. Val Kilmer's not feeling well. Why don't we still shoot with him and then dub his voice? Oh, no. <laughs> but that's that's neither here nor there. But th- they're all completely different. Like, they don't feel like the same director. And in a way, I, I love Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, mm-hmm. but Let the Right One In is just so sparse and deliberate in, yeah. in every scene and every action that that's what helps, like, like, that's what makes it memorable to me. Oh, totally. Without question. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it stands out from uh, a lot of what you see in its, again, just in that willingness to not just rush through every moment and uh, be really uh, flashy with its uh, with its design or its aesthetic to just sort of be still and quiet and let these things play out in that. And with the, you know, gorgeous cinematography of uh, Hoiti Vent Hoitima, uh, you know, it's definitely a striking movie to look at now to, to what what i love is the fact that the movie's just a little under two hours but it feels episodic in nature but because it's building things up it, it's a movie that spends the first like half of the movie building up characters and building up story elements for for terrific payoff later on do you find that distracting or did you love it uh, for the most part, I love it. I, uh, I, I think the, the progression of it is, uh, very, very rewarding and very interesting and the way it sort of, uh, unfolds over time. I mean, you know, you know, getting into it that just based on the premise of the movie alone, you know, going into it that, uh, Ely is a vampire, but mm-hmm. there's more to the story there than, uh, than just the fact that uh, Ely is a vampire, and uh, there's other other interesting layers to unpack there, and the dynamic with uh, uh, Oscar and the and his uh, you know sort of troubled school life and the the sort of vicious bullying he endures and uh, all of that. I think everything that centers around their relationship and the way that. Uh, they get to know each other over the course of the film is extremely rewarding. The one thing that, uh, you know, doesn't fully work for me and especially sort of took me out of the movie a little bit, uh, in parts this time watching it was, uh, some of the extended stuff with the, the clan of neighbors. Uh, yeah. And I think there's, there's definitely parts of it that work and it's the parts of it that directly, affect uh Ely and Oscar's story and the sort of raising stakes and raising tension there um but when we get sort of 
it gets a little bit into the weeds with uh, that whole <laughs> dynamic at times. And, and you know, it, it's it, it's never a chore, but at, at times I, you know, want to get back to the part of the movie that works best for me, which is this uh, central relationship between the two. So, you're, so you're saying you're not a fan of a of Virginia side story? <laughs> um, you know, there it has its uh, moments of pleasures, but I. Uh, don't love it the way I love the rest of the movie. I I mean I love it for one shot, but then it, it I'll agree with you that some of that extra stuff have, has an issue. I'm fine with uh with Joker uh for the for the most part uh just mm-hmm. because you know they they need him there. Um uh Lockie at the same time you need like like it, it they're important. And Virginia, they spend a lot of time on, and she gets one of the best shots in the movie, but also one oh, of the worst terrific. shots in the movie. Yeah. No, it, it's, uh, yeah, that kind of sums it up. The, you've got uh, just an absolutely beautiful, uh, astounding shot, and then, uh, you know, something that maybe <laughs> maybe might have been better off on the cutting room floor. I don't, I it's, it, it's a... It's one of those moments that makes a movie that's almost um, like you're you're like, oh, this is an all timer. But the one scene holds it back. and You're like, no, it's a really, really good film. But then there's the cat death scene. Yeah, it, it's it's strange. Um, and, you know, it, it's like. Like just on the verge of being silly enough that I can appreciate it as uh, just a fun bit of silliness. But mm. it, it's so. uh so out of place with the rest of the film uh, yeah. that it, it sort of sticks out like a st- sore thumb. Well, it also comes to like the hour and 20 minute mark as opposed to like minute 35, 45. Yeah. Now the, the interesting thing that I always like about watching the movie with, with Oscar is charting his journey. And I actually watched it for the first time with, with my wife uh, earlier. And she mentioned at the very end, she goes, wait, so no one's got a problem with that kid just leaving home, and I'm like, were you, <laughs> were, were, were you, were you paying attention? Did you, did you see the situation with his dad, and then did you see what his mom does for a living? Right. It's, it's uh, unfortunately, the parents are either going to notice right away, and it's going to be the only time that they've been super, super like parentally focused recently, or they're not going to notice that he's. He's gone for several days, and I was convinced that he's on like a school field trip. Right, and I mean the this movie very much uh, is from the perspective of these kids, and yeah. uh, the the parents sort of only uh, only play into it so much as uh, their role directly affects these kids. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's it's almost. Uh, almost like the peanuts in that regard where, you know, they, they, they could almost be uh, speaking like the wah, 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 uh, and it would be the same sort of feeling because it's not, it, it's not about those characters. It's about this very sort of kid centric view of the world and uh, the way the world looks to a 12 year old where uh, it, it's almost got kind of a, a childhood adventure feel to it uh on top of everything else in that regard because you know uh this kid these kids could conceivably uh plan this scheme to take off on a train and not think through the the ramifications of all that they're just gonna go for it 
But it's also a situation where even though their children around, you know, 12, 13 years old, uh, about, sorry, about 12 mm-hmm. years old, um, it's while they're that young, they're forced basically to embrace adulthood uh, yeah. be, because they've been abandoned, uh, which does bring us to the, the character that's always a big talking point in both the book, this film, and then the remake. And here it's, I think it's pronounced Haken or Hawken, and he's referred to as the father of the American remake. Yeah. Because he, he plays an important part, and it depends on how you want to extrapolate um, how he came to be with with Eli for what his position is. But it's a very, very interesting uh, role in a film that doesn't have a ton of lines, but plays a, a, a very important piece in the symbiotic nature. Yeah, no, that character is very interesting. And, uh, you know, for for those listeners who might not know, uh, I in the book, it's much more uh, explicitly uh, clarified that uh, this character is a pedophile. And uh, this is something that, you know, is not really the 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 original swedish version never really gets into it at all and the uh american version goes in a much different direction altogether but i think uh i think that's smart because i feel like uh pedophilia is such a big attention getting issue especially you know I'm, i'm speaking from the perspective of uh the the u.s here but you know it it's I feel like that would have had the potential to derail the movie if they had left that uh, character detail in where you it would detract from the story of uh, uh, Oscar and Ely uh, and it would shift into this other other thing that's not really central to what the movie is about. And I think the uh, the way that um, uh, per Ragnar, I, I'm probably really butchering that pronunciation you're, do, but, you're doing uh, as good as me so so, so right I don't feel so, bad. so the way the way he plays that character is uh is very good and very uh you know like the rest of the film very understated and very sort of uh sort of silent uh mm-hmm. for the most part but uh it, it's it, it allows you to it, imagine the possible scenarios that uh this man could ha- that could have led this man to be in this position and why he is uh why he's going through this uh through these sort of horrible things and horrifying yeah. things and uh for this uh for this several centuries old little girl uh and i, I think that uh that interpretive space where the audience is sort of asked to fill in the gaps for themselves is much more rewarding than if it had been clarified as it was in the book by uh, saying, oh, this character is a pedophile. That's why he has this sort of weird relationship with this uh, vampire child. Yeah, and and it almost works better to a a, a degree being presented as it is here because – as anybody knows, you know, with uh, the vampire lore, of course, there's the familiars and there is that draw to the person that's the master and the person who 
who they're willing to die for and the fact that there's the push and pull between are they in love with the master or are they in love with the possibility of being turned into a vampire at some point themselves and yeah and and Haken totally encapsulates that while also at the same time keeping some of the of the creepy leering vibe that's not overstated but still exists because it's originally part of the text and the um the author of the book John Lindquist uh wrote the screenplay for this as well yeah. as the novel so so you have those it's not a case of where it's like oh no somebody's adapting this and they're completely changing the meaning but he's he's adapting it and he's changing things that he was probably like this wouldn't work as well on the screen as it would on the page yeah and i, I think that's uh I, I think that's something he's uh come right out and said is that uh you know this element of the story was something that uh you know it was one of the things that in adapting it to film, he felt like it, uh, it, it sort of tipped the balance of the story away from what it was meant to be focused on. And uh, where in the book, you have more space to play with these different ideas in a movie. It could have just consumed the entire story. Completely. Now, do you have a set standout scene or signature scene that when you think of it, you're like, this is the moment. This is what sets what i love about let the right one in oh god i mean there's there's a few of them i mean probably the you know the most iconic scene is uh the you know the the one that's referred to in the title of the film where uh <laughs> she where where uh where ely is uh where it's after uh oscar finds out that uh ely is a vampire mm-hmm. and uh he sort of in that way that kids do is kind of being an asshole about yeah. it. Uh, and like, like he's curious and he's interested, but also kind of a dick. Uh, and <laughs> he's like, Oh, you, uh, so he finds out this rule that, you know, one of the sort of classical vampire rules that vampires are not allowed, uh, into places without being invited in. And so yeah. he's like, Oh yeah, well, well, why don't you show me what happens if I don't invite you in, huh? Can you just can you just walk on in without being invited? And so Ely does, and then <laughs> proceeds to start uh, bleeding from uh, every orifice on his body, uh, from you know pores and ears and nose and eyes, and it's uh, really really horrifying. But again, the the way it, it's shot is very sort of uh, it, it's very still and understated, and it mm. just allows you to to soak in the the horror of what's happening without it being shoved in your face. And uh, it's, it's a really remarkable scene. Um, and beyond that, uh, there's the, uh, the scene where uh, Oscar first finds out that Ely's a, a vampire <laughs> when uh, he tries to, uh, you know, trade blood with her uh in the sort of like secret hangout place uh i it's hard to really tell is i'm not sure if that's somewhere in the school or if it's somewhere else but it's like you know it, it's framed as like the cool spot where the older kids hang out yeah. and uh, it, it's probably kinda, like at the rec center that has the pool yeah yeah that makes sense um but uh you know just again stupid stuff that kids do uh yeah. that's framed in this uh framed in this different light and uh the way that 
the way that these actors play these scenes is so good. And I, I specifically want to call out uh, Lena Leanderson for uh, her performance in this because it's just so astounding what she does with this character because uh, it, it's a very it's a very tricky character to play because you have uh, you know this two uh, hundred something year old uh, little girl who uh, has that has centuries of uh, experience and learned wisdom, but is de- also developmentally stuck at 12 years old. And it, it's that uh, push and pull between these two things where, you know, she she has the wisdom to know that, uh, oh, I, I shouldn't hang out with this. I shouldn't hang out with this boy because uh, things are just going to end up going badly. But at the same time, she, uh, you know, He's a twelve-year-old. He's uh, a twelve-year-old kid who just wants to uh, have a friend, and uh, it, it that push and pull between those two emotions is, is really, really interesting and really uh, powerful. And the way that uh, the way that this uh, young actor pulls off uh, those complicated feelings is really astounding. Yeah, it, it, for everybody in this movie, it's all about their eyes. There's so much that's conveyed just through little looks and glances or how wide or how narrow their eyes are. It's it's very deceptively, brilliantly done for, you know, several young actors. And, and you don't mm-hmm. really expect that. And it's done here with, with great aplomb. Um, my two scenes that always stick out in my mind, uh, one of one is the big standout movie. It's it's the moment in the pool, of course. Oh, yeah, just, absolutely. It, it's a masterclass. And the fact that you're not seeing a lot, but you're seeing absolutely everything you you need to. And then when it shows you the aftermath, it's that much effective. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's just so well done. But in comparison to that, to show basically the opposite in a very, very small moment and just how much care is put into every inch of the scene is when uh, Ely goes to visit uh, Hawken in the hospital and the camera focuses on the nurse walking as far up and left to the frame to pull everybody's eye over there so that you don't notice until the second that she turns around and starts to walk inside that Ely's crawling up the side of the building. And it's just it's a wonderful little piece of misdirection that it, it's it's so simple to do, but to to have the forethought and saying this is how we're going to achieve this effect. It, yeah, it's, totally. It's so well done. It's just a, a perfect combination of all the right factors. You know, uh, the framing of the scene, the performances, the you know the effects work, uh, all of it plays into to make just a really memorable standout moment. Now. We've mentioned it once, so I thought we'd just get it out of the way. Um, no offense to the people who are in the film, but the question that we, we like to ask is, is there a film that works as a modern counterpart? And in what ways does this film or that film falter in comparison? Well, we come to another episode where, of course, there is either a sequel or a remake for us to compare it to. So we might as well dive in, you know, for another couple of moments, even though we've tested upon it already with let me in. And yeah, here's the first thing that I have to say for anybody who doesn't isn't aware 
that let the right one in is an original film and let me in is the remake just look at the two different titles you have let me in it's just about exactly what you think it's inviting It, it fits the entire purpose of the phrase being used and the american remake it's let me in it's more of a demand it's asserting itself and it's saying you're gonna let this happen whether you like it or not which is not what you want when you're going to a movie yeah it's uh yeah the you know i think there's taken as a movie on its own i think there's a lot to like about let me in um i think uh Matt Reeves is a great filmmaker, as we've seen with uh, other films he's made. I mean, most recently, the the two uh, Planet of the Apes movies, uh, yep. Dawn and War. Um, I mean, they're just they're just terrific pieces of filmmaking, and I think Matt Reeves is one of our most uh, you know one of the most exciting directors working today. Uh, and taken on its own, Let Me In is a very uh, very well constructed, uh, sort of small budget horror film, but it's when you put it next to the original that it just sort of feels like it loses any reason for existing because it's telling the the same story that the original does down to uh, you know very specific things. It's not. It's a very close adaptation. It's not uh, wildly different in uh, many ways. Mm-hmm. It that you just—it's this feeling of oh, I've I've already seen this, and I've already seen the better version of it. Uh, and it's it's tough to get past that. Yeah. But when it comes, when I think about Let Me and there's one thing that stands out in the movie, and it's it's Richard Jenkins. Yeah. And I mean, you put Richard Jenkins in a movie and that's going to be the answer for basically any film. Um, and but he makes it he he does some interesting things with that character just because it's Richard Jenkins. And it doesn't yeah. matter how like terrible or nice the individual is you, like you feel a deep sympathy just because it's Richard Jenkins face. Oh, absolutely. And and that's probably the biggest uh single departure that let me in takes from uh let the right one in where you know you have in let the right one in you have this more ambiguous uh character in uh haken uh where you know he's got a little bit of that uh creepy leering quality from him that's carried over from the book but then there's uh also more sympathetic aspects and it's all sort of it 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 invites the audience to uh sort of fill in the blanks in their in their mind where Richard Jenks Richard Jenkins is much more explicitly a sympathetic figure and uh the performance he gives you know as as is uh typical with this actor is very very good uh and, and very compelling and it's uh a different take on the character and an interesting take on the character and it is yeah I I agree one of the things that definitely stands out about uh the remake of you know Maybe not being better per se, but different enough that uh, it doesn't just feel like uh, a lesser version of something you've already seen. And I, I, I don't be want to be somebody who beats a dead horse, but all I have to say is, in the annals of remakes in the last like several years, at least it's not the uninvited. So that, that's all I care <laughs> yeah. about. 
yeah, as, as far as remakes go, you could do a lot worse than uh, Let Me In. You know, Let Me In, I'd say, is is worth seeing, but it absolutely should not be the only way. It, it's a supplement to the original, not a replacement. I couldn't have put it better. Now, I, it's not something that I normally want to touch on, like call out a specific piece of a movie, but this movie's 10 years old. In the past 10 years, one of the main things, or one of the main story elements of Let the Right One In has become a big topic and has become a big thing that that we're still trying to eradicate from like different parts of society. And watching Let the Right One In almost feels painful to a degree nowadays, watching it with all the stories that that have come out. Of course, people have endured stuff, but just the level of bullying in the movie it i think makes it even better than like when it originally came out because of everything that's trying to be stamped out and how many different discussions have been had either in schools or or on television or whatever when it comes to to bullying and wanting to get rid of it and let the right one in it never goes to an extreme of like having the kid be tortured the entire time i mean he is he is in a way but it's never it's never over the top. It's never gratuitous. It's done. Right. It's done to a point where it's realistic enough to to cause you unease. Yeah. No. Totally. And the. I mean. Again. You. You talked about the the pool scene earlier, but just the 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 tension of that scene. Oh, you. Uh, I. I either have to hold my breath underwater for a physically impossible amount of time, or have uh, have this. Uh, big scary teenager uh potentially gouge my eye out with a pocket knife and it's like what do you do in that situation and uh it, it's very again it, it's not uh it never feels gratuitous or uh exploitative and again going back to the way this movie is uh crafted in the way it's shot it, it's all very uh it, it's not gratuitous or in your face ever but uh it still evokes, you know, real feelings of, of fear and emotion and uh, and sympathy for this character. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting how the movie introduces him. It introduces Oscar as uh, this kid, sort of muttering muttering threats uh, under his breath and. Uh, miming stabbing somebody and then and then it uh backs into the the reason for that where it's his sort of fantasy of uh enacting revenge against his tormentors and you know a fantasy that's never likely to play out i mean when he finally does confront the bullies he's clearly scared and reluctant to even uh whack one of them over the side of the head with a stick uh but it's it's this uh, this kid who has been uh, tormented by these other cruel children in school, uh, fantasizing about ways to get back at them. And, and he's he's even egged on at one point by Ely saying, "You need to be me a little." Yeah, and and try, trying to hit that home of that, even the vampire saying. Yeah, you need to buck up a little bit and and try to you know make the best of the situation. You need to stand up for yourself. You you might want the desire to kill people, 
but you should act on that baser instinct. Maybe not completely kill kill people unless it's for you know her, but it, it it's still even even Ely's like, hey, you need to do something. This isn't right. Yeah. No, and, and uh, I think the other the other big thing that uh, I think stands out watching this uh, a few years later as you know something that's only becoming more prominent in our in our culture is uh, the the whole issue of uh, Ely's gender, uh, and, and I've been you know I, I'm not sure if uh, any listeners have picked up on this, but I've kind of been going back and forth on the the pronouns I use for Ely because I, I actually did uh, some research today to try to, you know, see if there was a consensus on the online for, you know, the most uh, most respectful way to approach this mm-hmm. uh, because I, you know, full disclosure, I'm a cisgendered, heterosexual white guy, so I, I'm way out of my lane here but uh you've got this character who uh in the book was explicitly uh uh a boy who was uh who was abused and castrated um but forcibly castrated by a lord who may have been a vampire because yeah his family was poor and he was the youngest and prettiest Right. And uh, in in the movie, it's, you know, that backstory never plays into it, but you still get, uh, you know, uh, Ely tells Oscar, uh, at one point in the movie, she, or he, uh, he tells uh, Oscar that uh, he, he asks the question, uh, would you still like me uh, even if I wasn't a girl? And then later on, uh, he says, uh, more explicitly, I'm not a girl, and you know, there's there's multiple ways to interpret that, but there's there's definitely uh, a, a transgender or gender queer reading of the movie that uh, you know I, I've seen at least some uh, some interesting discussion of online, and I, I think you know as those kind of stories. Are become more visible in our culture and in our media. Uh, I think that element uh, will continue to become more interesting over the years. And I mean, it, it's 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 an interesting point, and, and it depends on how you want to want to look at it. Because I, there's even a point also where uh, Ely uh, re- refers to themselves. We'll use that pronoun just to be safe for for the, the phrase that they use. Is they refer to themselves as as nothing basically. Yeah. Um, and while there, there is the attraction there, there, there is the letting on of possibly over years and years and years in the centuries that Ely has been alive, that they may view themselves as asexual in a way. Now. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's many different ways to read it and none of it's necessarily negative. It, it's a very interesting um, element that that's in there. And especially because, the way that they're playing it is also uh, being bounced off of Oscar um, being insecure in in what he is. You know, if, if he should try to be more manly or if he, you know, should just be however he feels. And so you've got that interesting dynamic uh, of people who who are fluid in their state, not not just 
because one of them's definitely a vampire and one of them's, you know, a little boy, but then how they view themselves and how others view them and how that, that allows them to live their life. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is, uh, an element that, uh, the, uh, American remake just 